0: You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team
1: every day.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Locked on Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostreicher of Ravens Wire. Today's episode is brought to you by BuiltBar. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off of your next order. And we are back here. Kevin Ostreicher here with you and we have a victory Monday here on the Locked on Ravens podcast and it feels good after what felt like a winnable game against the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. Baltimore comes out, plays pretty sloppily in the first half against Indianapolis, but at the end of the day, they got their stuff together in the second half and pulled out a 24-10 win over the Indianapolis Colts in Week 9. It moves them to 6-2, and two. still the 5C though, we'll talk about in the third segment a bit, as the Steelers won their game against the Dallas Cowboys, so that keeps them in first place. In the AFC North, which, you know, good for them. They keep winning. That's what they should be doing in Baltimore. Same exact thing. Control what you can control. But here, we can control what we talk about. And in this show, we'll be talking about everything about the Ravens 24-10 victory over Indianapolis. We'll talk about the offense here in this first segment, the defense in the second segment. And then finally, we'll talk again with Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers and Locked On NFL about how the Ravens performed on Sunday as well as getting into those five scores from the rest of the AFC, and talking a bit about the playoff picture right now is Baltimore still in the fray of it, but albeit not on top of the AFC North, so let's just jump right in, but before we do that, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere there's a podcast where they're waiting for you Monday through Friday 6 a.m. Eastern time, also be sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnRavens, and my personal account At Chaos Striker 34. So, with all that being said, let's jump right in here, starting off with the offense. And now, this game for the offense, boy, was it a tale of two halves. The first half, Baltimore could not get anything, and I mean anything. Going both on the ground and through the air. For the game, Baltimore averaged just 2.9 yards per carry despite scoring both of their touchdowns on the offensive side of the ball while running the football. Lamar Jackson, 13 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. Gus Edwards, 11 carries for 23 yards and a score himself. And then J.K. Dobbins had 12 carries for 30 yards. But let's start off with Lamar Jackson because it definitely was a tale of two halves and I think he was kind of at the center of it. Really not a great start for this offense all in all. I mean, the offensive line, we'll get into it in a few minutes here, but he was not helped by his offensive line. And I think a key narrative that's forced onto Lamar Jackson right now is the fact that he can't throw the football effectively. He can't do this from the pocket. He can't do that from the pocket. I think a key part of that, it has to be on the offensive line because if they are not giving Lamar Jackson the time to throw, the throwing lanes, just the pure pocket, the bubble protection of having a pocket there, that's really, really tough, I think, for a quarterback to go out there and consistently be able to deliver from the pocket. It can get tough when your offensive line is not blocking for you. Now, I know the loss of Marshall Yonda, that's huge. Obviously, so huge for this offensive line. Same with the loss of Ronnie Stanley. That's also a massive loss for Baltimore. They're just figuring it out right now, and again, we'll talk about it in a few minutes, but... It's It's been rough for the offensive line for the Ravens so far this 2020 season. But Lamar Jackson finishes 19 of 23 for 170 yards. No touchdowns. Through the air but he had one on the ground as we just talked about 13 carries for 58 yards and that one score now with lamar jackson where i actually liked him in this game was in the up-tempo offense now we saw the up-tempo offense last week against the pittsburgh steelers and what that did is it opens up a lot of different things for your offense because it keeps the defense off balance and on their toes it doesn't let them rest and i think the most important part is it lets the offense get into a flow, and that flow can't be disrupted by huddles, or the defense can't adjust to what they're doing, really on the fly, because in up-tempo, the defense doesn't have time to huddle, and the offense can call out plays, and it really, really works well. Now, the difference between what happened against Pittsburgh and against Indianapolis was last week against Pittsburgh, Baltimore really found success using the ground hurry-up game. They were gashing the Steelers on the ground, and they continued to use it. Where Baltimore seemed to have their success against Indianapolis was through the air in the up-tempo offense we saw in that first possession of the third quarter. Baltimore was able to come out, Lamar Jackson firing quick strikes to guys like Miles Boykin to Marquise Brown, Nick Boyle, Mark Andrews. This wasn't a huge stat game for the Ravens offense. Lamar Jackson, again, only those 170 yards. Receiver-wise, Nick Boyle led the team with four receptions for 46 yards. But then you have Marquise Brown, 3 for 38. Willis Need, 4 for 37. Mark Andrews, 3 for 22. Miles Boykin, 1 for 11. Gus Edwards, 2 for 11. J.K. Dobbins, 2 for 5. It was a joint effort. And again, you don't have to blow out the box score to win football games. Baltimore sincerely, brutally struggled in that first half. They did not get the ball moving, and if it wasn't for Marcus Peters, who we'll talk about in the second segment, Baltimore might not be in this game at halftime. It might be 17 to nothing, the Colts at half, and that would have been a tough, tough ask to have Lamar Jackson come out cool, confident, and collected. But what I've learned about Lamar Jackson as a player is he never gets down on himself. He never gives up. So having Lamar Jackson come out 17 to 0, you get the narrative of all right, well, he can't come from behind. He can't win big games. I think he could have done it against that Indianapolis defense, and I think we have to give credit to the Indianapolis defense. A very, very tough unit. It was the top-rushing offensive football in Baltimore against one of the top-rushing defenses in the NFL in the Indianapolis Colts. And the Colts, they had their way with this Ravens rushing offense. Again, I mentioned only 2.9 yards per carry, but I think for the Ravens, this offensive line does have to get it figured out. There's a lot that needs to go into it. I don't know if there's necessarily anything they can do right now, though. I mean, you're so late into the season, you're eight games into the season, and look, the offensive line right now for the Ravens, it is a problem. I can confidently say that, and how can I confidently say that? It's because, again, we're eight games through the regular season. Now, earlier in the year, you know, I was chalking it up as some overreactions, saying that potentially it could be the effects of no preseason, very shortened offseason because of the coronavirus but now that we're at the midway point of the season, Baltimore has played eight games, they have eight more games to go. Now you start to see the real strengths and weaknesses, and one of those weaknesses right now, it has to be the offensive line, particularly, and I'm sorry for singling them out again. Matt Skura has not been impressive to me. Now I know that he dealt with a cut on his snap hand, his thumb. On that thumb, he had a cut and it was affecting his snaps. And, you know, Lamar Jackson, I think they said on the broadcast, the CBS broadcast, He should should get a good glove after that game. He was snagging balls up, down, left, right, center. He was doing everything to get a good, clean hold on Matt Skura's snap. So again, good for Lamar Jackson. But Matt Skura, for me, is missing key blocks up front. He's not sustaining his blocks for long enough. And it's hard to play center in the NFL. It's hard to play center in the NFL after coming back from such a brutal, brutal knee injury. But Matt Skura, I think, I don't know what you do if you're Baltimore, because Patrick McCarry is your starting right guard right now. I do think Ben Powers deserves that slot. Maybe you move McCarry to center. Maybe you move Bozeman to center like Cole and I have discussed. There's a lot that can be done, but at the same time, there's not a lot that can be done because this unit has experience playing with each other at the positions they're at right now. And it's tough because the Ravens, their offense hinges on their offensive line in both the run and pass game. Now, you can say that about any team, but for Baltimore, it's so much more important because in order to have the dominant ground game that they have, their offensive line has to be on all cylinders, hitting every single play. And it's tough. It's tough to play offensive line in this league. I know I've never done it, but it's it's difficult. And so we have to give a little bit of slack, I do feel like. But at the end of the day, this is the NFL. You are paid to do a job that is either blocking, is throwing the football, is defending. The offensive linemen are paid to block. And look, Baltimore would not be 6-2 and two right now without this offensive line. It has not been all bad for this Ravens offensive line. I'm, I'm not bashing on them completely what I am saying is that there needs to be just a bit more consistency because I see great stretches out of the unit. I see great, great stretches. But against Indianapolis, especially in the first half, they were not giving Lamar Jackson time to throw. The rushing lanes were clogged up. The Colts are doing a great job. Again, no disrespect to the Colts. But the Ravens' offensive line, it was rough in this game. And I think that when you look at it from a whole perspective, if the offensive line is clicking on all cylinders, or at least most cylinders, the rest of the offense opens up. Again, this is a game that goes hand-in-hand. Everything goes hand-in-hand with everything else. And the offensive line is going to be a key thing to look at as we head into the remaining eight games in the back half of this Baltimore season. So hopefully they can get it together and hopefully the Ravens can take away from this game as well that the up-tempo offense works for them. But again, a tale of two halves on offense, and I think that Baltimore showed that they can grow, not only week to week, but half by half, quarter by quarter, play by play, and that's the most important takeaway for me. We're going to head into our first break here, but when we get back, we'll be flipping the script and talking about that defense who held the Colts to just 10 points and none in the first half, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. When it comes to getting or staying in shape, nothing feels as good as that feeling of accomplishment of hitting your fitness goals and feeling great about yourself. Echelon can get you there. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and their all-new Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter what your favorite fitness activity, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of your home. Go to echelonfit.com NFL. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com NFL. We are back here with our second segment of this Locked on Ravens Victory Monday episode. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still here with you, and we just talked about the offense and how they performed in the Ravens' 24-10 win over the Indianapolis Colts, but now let's dive into this defense, and I don't think we can start talking about just how well this defense performed without talking about what was stacked against them. Going into this game, Marlon Humphrey, their star cornerback. Honestly, he could be the best defensive player on the Ravens. They have so many guys up for that knob, but I'd probably give it to Marlon Humphrey. So their best defensive player is out for this game. They're already very thin at the cornerback position. So they have four healthy corners going into the game against Indianapolis. One in Khalil Dorsey, who actually gets hurt for part of the game. So they're very thin in the secondary. Apart from that, the Ravens have seven other guys go on the reserve COVID list that included guys like Tyus Bowser and Malik Harrison, Patrick Queen and Deshaun Elliott, Matthew Judon. Seven guys on that defense who were out of practice for most of the week, if not all of the week. They were doing things virtually on Zoom. They were making sure that they were working out by themselves, but they didn't get that key learning time in practice. And even when those guys came off the list, which included LJ Fort, Fort was then ruled out because of a finger injury, so that just depleted Baltimore's linebacking crew. And then on top of all of it, on top of all of that, you have Calais Campbell on the first defensive series get injured, he has a calf strain, does not return for the rest of the game. So Baltimore down arguably their two best defensive players, a starting linebacker and six other players, not including Fort, who didn't practice all week or at least not for most of the week. This Ravens defense held tough. This Ravens defense played extremely well, considering all the circumstances. And the Ravens don't win this game without Marcus Peters. I said that in the first segment, and I will say it again. He played a phenomenal game, forced both of the turnovers that Baltimore was able to produce on defense. One, on Literally probably a game-changing fumble on Jonathan Taylor, where he ripped that ball out. Marlon Humphrey's play style is contagious, and Marcus Peters, over the last few weeks, has seemed to emulate that play style of ripping the ball out. We've seen Deshaun Elliott do it, Patrick Queen do it. This Ravens team goes for the football. It is not safe when you are playing this Baltimore Ravens defense. So Chuck Clark picks up that fumble, returns it for a touchdown, 7-7, tie game, after Baltimore could not do anything on the offensive side of the ball that was massive. It was huge. Because if, let's say Marcus Peters doesn't force that fumble, Jonathan Taylor, that was a first down run, maybe a nine-yard run there. If the Colts go down, make it 10-0, make it make it you know 14-0, that's a big gap to come back by, especially, I'm not saying the offense couldn't do it, but what I am saying is the way the offense was playing, it was looking less and less like they were going to be able to do that, at least in the first half. And then we saw the second half, turnaround but then you have the interception on Philip Rivers and boy what a great play by Marcus Peters first of all but what a gutsy gutsy challenge by John Harbaugh now I will admit first I did not think this was going to be an interception I thought that Marcus Peters did not make a football move, and this was before I had seen the replays or anything, so looking back on it, I do agree, and it was actually ironic that Des Bryant was in attendance for this game as he was on the sidelines and suited up, because the whole thing of what is a catch now? It is now a three-step process with a football move, and Marcus Peters certainly did that before the ball was jarred loose. I didn't see a clear recovery. I'm assuming maybe Peters or Deshaun Elliott, who was over there, picked up the football, but that was a- another game changer, a tide changer in this football game. And I think that those two turnovers, without them, the Ravens do not win this game. Malik Harrison led the team with 11 tackles. I thought he played very, very well considering the circumstances. Matthew Judon had seven tackles. Jimmy Smith had six. Marcus Peters and Justin Matabuki each had five. Deshaun Elliott, Patrick Queen each had 4 Then a slew of guys with, of course, three, two, and one. But This Ravens defense, it's the whole next man up mentality. And that's what makes this defense so good. The Ravens preach and preach and preach. And they also show and show and show how important depth is on this roster. Because no NFL team will go through a season unscathed. There will be season-ending injuries. There will be week-to-week injuries. There will be day-to-day injuries in this league. That's just the nature of what football is. But even with two defensive stars down, a starting linebacker, guys who had not been in practice all week, they made the most of it. Everybody, the guys who were in practice, the guys who weren't in practice, that's so important. Now, there were a few people who did struggle in this game for me. I think Terrell Bonds is going to be the center of that. Uh, Not a great game from him, personally. I think he kind of had a first half, second half difference, but I don't necessarily think he's the answer at slot corner. I think he's a good backup option. I think he's a guy who's a nice change of pace guy. But I don't necessarily think he is the option, the guy that the Ravens should be relying on in those situations, which is why I love the Jermon Williams workout, at least. And I'm hopeful that Baltimore is going to bring him in and, and give him some run with this defense because he was a top 10 slot cornerback last year. So I would absolutely love that. But I think where the Ravens have kind of run into kind of maybe what could be classified as their kryptonite is with these quick-hitting passing offenses, and now Pittsburgh is the most quick-hitting offense in the entire NFL. Ben Roethlisberger is the leading passer when it comes to getting the ball out quickly, but Phillip Rivers and the Colts going into this game, I know I've said this before, but they were the sixth-fastest team to get that football out, that sixth-fastest offense, and that's big because when you're blitzing, you know, you're blitzing with hopes that the pass rush, one, gets there fast, but two, that you can hold one-on-one coverages. And it's hard to hold one-on-one coverages against those quick-hitting offenses because it's one quick move here and then the ball is out. Or it's one backstep screen here and it's and the ball is out. So the Ravens did not blitz Luckily, I think, did not blitz as much as I'm sure they wanted to. And I think that's for the best here. We did see the pressure dialed up in the fourth quarter. I think that was one, because of the score. And two, because, again, the Colts were kind of trying to force the deep intermediate game in the pass game. And so that allowed Baltimore to kind of take their foot off of the quote unquote gas in terms of not blitzing and actually slam that thing down in terms of actually blitzing the quarterback. But again, The Ravens and Don Martindale, and John Harbaugh alluded to this in his post-game press conference, Don Martindale called a phenomenal game. There are still some plays here or there where I'll wonder why is this guy playing so off right now when you know this is a quick-hitting offense, but you've got to disguise the looks, and, and I completely and totally understand that. This defense, they did not play perfectly, but they did play really, really well, and the Colts in the third quarter had one total yard of offense, one. Total yard of offense. And part of that is due to the time possession battle, which I think was extremely important. Baltimore ended up winning 33 26 to 26 34. But this Colts offense, they're no slouches. They put up 41 on the Lions last week, and you'll say, all right, well, it's the Lions and it doesn't really matter. But again, this is the NFL. These are talented people, regardless of if you're talking about the New York Jets, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Baltimore Ravens, the Detroit Lions. There are talents across this entire league and so putting up 41 on any team as we saw last year for Baltimore is extremely impressive but the Ravens defense was able to stifle the Colts especially in the second half no points allowed in the second half 10 points total I mean what a performance what a gutsy gutsy performance by this Ravens team I'm honestly so excited about this win and I think a lot of other people should be too because this was a game Baltimore could have easily gone into and said, "Well." You know, we had this whole COVID thing, and our best defensive players out, and a lot of these guys mispracticed, so we weren't really up to full speed, and then, oh, Clayes Campbell gets hurt, and oh, geez, the offense isn't performing well. I guess, you know, we'll just throw in the towel here. Baltimore never gave up, and I think the emulation of that was on the defensive side of the ball, where despite the offense struggling, despite the defense getting nothing from that offense in the first half. The defense never quit. Eric DaCosta built this defense to hold leads. He kind of alluded to the point that he wanted this defense to hold leads when the offense got up big. Well, I think the best thing this defense is doing is not holding leads. It's giving the opportunity for the offense to get leads. It's giving the offense an opportunity to be down by a certain amount of points. You know, even if you go late in the fourth quarter, Baltimore's down by three. If the defense wasn't as stout as it was, maybe they're down 17. You know, there's a lot to go into how this defense has performed this season, but I am overly, overly impressed, and honestly, the Ravens' defense is back, and once they get Humphrey back and Fort back and maybe they bring in Shaman Williams, you know, this defense is going to suffer without Tavon Young. We, we've seen it. We, we've figured that, and it's it's been true. Same with Anthony Averett who was playing phenomenal football before he went down. Iman Marshall's loss also hurts. You know, even you have weeks without Derek Wolf, without Calais Campbell, without LJ Ford. There are a lot of guys who go down and are out, but it's the next man up mentality in this Baltimore defense. It, it performed phenomenally on Sunday, and it's here to stay throughout the rest of the regular season and throughout the playoffs as well. We're going to head into our final break now, and when we get back, we'll be talking with Peter Bukowski of Locked On NFL and Locked On Packers, as well as getting into the final scores throughout the rest of the AFC, and a quick look at the playoff picture through nine weeks, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar is even more delicious with six new flavors, including caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They're healthy. They're great for the health conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. So be sure to go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off of your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at builtbar.com. We are back here with our final segment of this Locked On Ravens Victory Monday edition. Kevin Oshaker is still hanging out with you here. And we're going to get into a conversation I had with Peter Bukowski of Locked On NFL and Locked On Packers. And we talked about the Ravens' win over the Colts and what went right and just how this game turned out the way it turned out. So let's jump right into
1: it now. Last week on the show, we talked about the Baltimore Ravens and a potential big game problem. The good news for them they get to get right back on the horse and take on the Indianapolis Colts, and they took care of the Indianapolis Colts 24-10. to 10. Joining me now, Kevin Ostriker from Locked on Ravens. And Kevin, this was a game that really can be split into to two halves, and, and we can dig into some of the minutiae of the game itself. But when you look at what they were able to do defensively, that has to be the big takeaway from this game if you're the Baltimore Ravens.
0: Yeah, Peter, it definitely has to be. And this defense really had all the odds stacked against them coming into this game. Marlon Humphrey Mm. got the coronavirus on Monday. You know, he tested negative throughout the entire last week, even though he had an illness last Wednesday. But still, that test comes in on Monday. He's positive. So he's done for this game, doesn't play. He also had seven close contacts were identified by the league and by the Ravens. Those guys outside of Matthew Dudon mispracticed all week long. So they were doing things virtually by Zoom for meetings. But they didn't have the luxury of going out there and learning for practice. And two of those guys were the rookie linebackers in Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. It also included Tyus Bowser and Deshaun Elliott, Slot Corners, Roe Bonds. And even with all of that and the fact that on the first offensive series for Baltimore, they lost their other star in Calais Campbell. So that's a big right. loss up front. The defense was able to hold the Indianapolis Colts to 10 points throughout the entire game and none in the second half. And I think what makes it all the more impressive, Peter, is that you see a Colts offense that I think is severely underrated. This Colts team is severely underrated. And I think that's why a lot of people probably won't chalk this up to a big game for Lamar Jackson and saying, oh, this wasn't a big game. It doesn't matter. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens were down 10 to 7 at the half. The offense has scored Zero points in the first half. You know, the only seven they scored in the first half was a fumble recovered by Chuck Clark for a touchdown. You see Mm -hmm. the urgency in the second half for the offense, but that was also led by the defense and their ability to get the Colts off of the field and give the offense more chances. And what you saw, I think, was a more energized Ravens defense, even down so many players, having guys step in who a few weeks ago weren't even getting playing time or still on the practice squad. This was a group effort all around.
1: Yeah, and anyone who doesn't think that this was a big game, I mean, the Colts, even with the loss 5-3 and three now, this defense has been outstanding all season. And we know in terms of the skill talent that they have, even if you don't, you know, your fantasy team at some point got beat by Mo Alley Cox this season, even if that's not a player that you've watched a lot this year. <laughs> but so the, the the Ravens offense has been hit or miss this season, a year after it was gangbusters last year. And, and you look at the offensive numbers, I mean, they ran it for under three yards a carry. Lamar Jackson doesn't even get to 200 yards, yet because they were able to generate those turnovers, they win the game going away. Is that something where you say, yeah, this is, this is just the identity of this team. They're they're meant to be a splash play defense, and, and the offense can just do enough, or is it a little bit of a cause for concern? You know, another way of saying, look, this is not necessarily a sustainable way to keep winning against these good teams.
0: Yeah, Peter, what I like to do here is, you know, we're now eight games into the season for Baltimore. They're 6-2. They have eight more to go. So now we're at the midway point. And what I like to right. do is not try to overreact to stuff that happens early on in the year because it could easily be fixed by the midway point. But What mm. we have here is through eight games, I don't think the offense has necessarily been up to par with what a lot of people thought it was going to be. And whether that be because Baltimore's 2019 was just so historic, Lamar Jackson and his MVP campaign was so historic, I can understand people being a little disappointed with the box score results of this Ravens offense. So while I wasn't trying to overreact to it earlier in the year, this offense is doing a lot of good things. I I think the hurry-up offense suits their tone a little bit more. It helps them in the running game because defenses can't get set. And once they have success with the running game, it opens up the pass game for them. And Baltimore actually found success moving the ball through the air with that up-tempo hurry-up offense. And I think that was a really great thing to see and something they can build on. But something that I think is now a huge cause for concern with this Baltimore team has to be the offensive line. And it's something I never thought I'd be saying. But with the loss of Marshall Yanda to retirement, with the loss of Ronnie Stanley last week with that broken, dislocated, torn ligament ankle, this offensive line might be the downfall of this team in 2020 because no matter how hard Lamar Jackson tries and tries and tries to throw the football effectively, to run the football effectively, he can't do it without a good offensive line. In fact, no quarterback can do it really effectively without a good offensive line. And what you saw on Sunday against the Colts was Matt Scura. He had a cut on his right thumb, his snapping hand, so the snaps were all over the place. There was one that didn't even travel a yard, and Lamar yeah. Jackson had to go and fall on that football, or somebody from the team had to go fall on that football. So, what you have now is a bunch of guys trying to find their positions. Now, the Colts defense, I do want to point out, the Colts defense is an extremely elite unit. People might not know the names on it. Again, the Colts, I think, are one of the most underrated teams of football. But the Colts' defense has been showing up this season, and their sideline to sideline speed did hinder the Ravens in the first half. But the offensive line for Baltimore, I think, is going to be a key point for me to watch throughout the rest of the season because it's, again, a big part of their passing offense and giving Lamar Jackson ample time to throw the football. But when it comes down to it, the, the running game relies on the offensive line as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how the offensive line continues to hopefully grow together throughout the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, nine TFLs for the Colts in this game. And if you were going to put together a player who was perfect to spy Lamar Jackson, he would look a lot like Darius Leonard. So if you don't know how good this Colts team is yet, I, I highly recommend go watch. And they're, they're a, a really well coached. Matt Eberflus is an outstanding defensive coordinator. This is a really good defensive team. And and I think you're right to point out that, look, some of, some of the numbers here are just going to be depressed because the Colts are that good defensively.
0: There's two weeks in a row we've talked with Peter and two very, very good weeks of insight and analysis. It's, It's always great talking with him, but now let's get into these final scores from around the AFC. Now, of course, NFC opponents don't really have an impact on the Ravens' playoff standing, but I think it's important. I've, I've been doing this since week one, going through the scores, seeing who won, how AFC teams performed, and ultimately what the AFC playoff picture looks like. So let's start off here with Jacksonville as the Houston Texans defeat the Jacksonville Jaguars 27 to 25. Houston moves to two and six while Jacksonville falls to one and seven. Deshaun Watson went nineteen to thirty two for two hundred and eighty one yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions. While Jake Lutton, a quarterback of rookie, who was getting the starting place of Gardner Minshew 26 to 38 for 304 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Next, let's move on to Tennessee, where the Tennessee Titans defeat the Chicago Bears 24-17. to Tennessee moves to 6-2, while Chicago falls to 5-4. For Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill went 10-21 for 158 yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions, while Derrick Henry had 21 carries for 68 yards and no scores there. The Kansas City Chiefs escape against the Carolina Panthers 33-31. Kansas City moves to 8-1, while Carolina falls to 3-6. For the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes went 30-45 for 370. 72 yards, four touchdowns. O'Clad Edwards-Hillier had five carries for 14 yards, and Le'Veon Bell had four carries for eight yards. Next, we go to Atlanta, where the Denver Broncos fall to the Atlanta Falcons, 34 27. Denver moves to 3 and 5, while Atlanta moves to 3 and 6. Drew Locke went 25 of 48 for 313 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception, while also having seven carries for 47 yards on the ground and a score there. Next, we go to Los Angeles where the Las Vegas Raiders beat the Los Angeles Chargers 31-26. to The Raiders moved to 5-3 while the Chargers fall to 2-6. Derek Carr went 13-23 for 165 yards, 2 touchdowns, and no interceptions. While Justin Herbert, another impressive game from him as he went 28-42 for 326 yards, 2 touchdowns and no interceptions. Next, the Buffalo Bills put a beat down on the Seattle Seahawks 44 to 34. Buffalo moves to 7 and 2. while the Seahawks fall to 6 and 2. For Buffalo, Josh Allen had a phenomenal day. 31-38 for 415 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He also had seven carries for 14 yards and another score on the ground. The Miami Dolphins beat the Arizona Cardinals 34-31. Miami moves to 5-3 while Arizona falls to 5-3 to a by Loa, 20 of 28 for 248 yards, two touchdowns for him in his second NFL start. The Pittsburgh Steelers defeat the Dallas Cowboys 24-19 in a very controversial finish. The Steelers moved to 8-0 and remain the NFL's lone unbeaten team while the Cowboys fall to 2-7. Bad Roethlisberger went 29-42 of 42 for 306 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions there. And the Steelers remain, I guess, a mystery, but also a very good football team as only one of their games have come in a more than one score game. Pittsburgh has won seven of their games by one score or less, so... It's big for the Steelers because they're proving they can win in those close game situations. But also, will that catch up to them or will it not? Time will tell. The Steelers are a very good football team. They would not be 8-0 if they weren't. But it's going to be interesting to see if it does catch up with them. So moving on to the AFC playoff picture. Right now, at least in terms of 1 through 7, the 7 playoff seeds, you have the Pittsburgh Steelers in 8-0, other 1 seed. The Kansas City Chiefs are the 2 seed at 8-1. The Buffalo Bills are the 3 seed at 7-2. The Tennessee Titans are the 4 seed at 6-2. The Baltimore Ravens are the 5 seed at 6-2 as well. The Las Vegas Raiders are locked into that 6 seed at 5-3. The Miami Dolphins actually would be the final AFC playoff team right now at 5-3, while Cleveland and Indianapolis are on the outside looking in. With their tiebreakers that Miami and Las Vegas have won. So, looking ahead now, there's a clear shot that Baltimore is a wild card team this year. You know, Pittsburgh is playing well, they're winning. Will that catch up with them? Who knows? Baltimore needs to win on Thanksgiving in order to at least have a shot at the AFC North. I'm still confident they will win the AFC North, but as Pittsburgh keeps winning and Baltimore keeps winning, it's always the control which you can control with the Ravens. You know, you can't control Pittsburgh's winning. You can only control if you can beat the Steelers. And so, I think that's what they should be worried about right now. I also don't think they should be worried about potentially winning the AFC North because as we've seen, is the Ravens have unfortunately painfully felt a great regular season record does not necessarily lead to a great playoff record. So it's difficult, but I think for the Ravens, even if they are the 5 seed, if they have to go into Buffalo or into Tennessee, that's, that's tough. But I still think that even if it's on the road, even if it's at m and Bank Stadium, There is a clear picture for the Ravens to the Super Bowl, and it's as simple as just winning all of the games that you can win, controlling all the things you can control. And I think Baltimore, that's their mindset too. That's all that I have for you today. When we get back tomorrow here on Locked on Ravens, as more Ravens talk from us, of course, so stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.